Hey everybody, welcome back to Too True to Lie with Harry Day. Today's uh, podcast may be a little shorter than the 30 minutes. That might please a lot of you that uh, like to listen but don't like to listen for so long. Of course, I could keep talking like this and make it go longer, but you're really not uh, gaining any uh, knowledge or entertainment from you know something so silly as that. Today we're going to talk about music a little bit more more um tightly we're going to talk about interesting stories that were involved in music or from music my favorite story out of music uh involves otis redding and if you know of otis redding he was a black singer with a very recognizable voice from the late 50s and through the 1960s until his death and uh he had some huge songs, very very uh, recognizable songs, mostly because of his voice. The song everyone probably knows from Otis Redding is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. He also did Cupid, but Sitting on the Dock of the Bay is his most widely renowned song. Well, there's a story behind this song that very few people really know and it may have come out back then during its release in the 60s but it was brief in the airing of this fact I would imagine and so when you hear this sitting on the dock of the bay song that's the song you're used to listening to that's the song that he cut in the studio and that he went out on a tour and played and he, he did that fantastic whistle through the end of the song that just made it so whimsical that's not how it went down he had written sitting on the dock of the bay but he didn't finish the song and while they were in the studio I believe in Detroit Motown they were they were recording it as if they were recording a full song but he did not have the second verse to this song written down or even in his mind so as they recorded on this take, he sang the first version of the song. He went through the refrain one or two times, sitting on the dock of the bay. And then he famously went into the whistle as he whistled out through the end of the song. They cut recording, um, finalized that recording, and just set it aside. His plan, along with his uh, recording studio, was that after he went out on this tour, he'd come back and he'd re-record the song and have a second verse of lyrics for the song, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Four days after this day where he recorded this track with the whistling, he died in a plane crash going out on tour. Well, because the track that they cut with the whistle turned out so well, that's what they released and it went out on the radio and it went out on records on his last uh, not his last record but the last record they cut of his recordings I believe and the whistle was part of the song and so what everyone heard was this whimsical whistle 
that finished out sitting on the dock of the bay, and it became wildly popular. He was one of the black musicians that broke the boundaries of white musicians and black musicians in a time when segregation was kind of hitting its final final uh, decade. And uh, no one knew that that whistle that was so beautiful that was done and I, I don't know I can't remember when I read about it whether he did two takes whistling through it or just one I want to say it was just one take that he finished the whistle after singing the song but I would imagine they did more cuts as they do in studio when recording songs they do so many cuts and choose the best one or blend the best versions but when you hear sitting on the dock of the bay, know that in his mind, whistling through this song, he was thinking or wishing he had another verse to make the song whole to him. But instead he just whistled, and it was ad-lib. And then went out on tour, died in a plane crash. Just like Buddy Holly, just like Stevie Ray Vaughan, which was a helicopter, just like Jim Croce. They, they died before their time in plane crashes going to shows. Smaller planes, obviously. They weren't 727s crashing, killing, you know, 80 people. Just them and part of their crew or their band and the pilots. And, uh, you know, any loss of life is, is a tragedy. And his voice, was, which was so beautiful and so recognizable, was silenced. And yet his whistle in that song lived on. And I just, I've always found that to be such an amazing story. That the whistling in Sydney on the dock of the bay was not, in, not really intentional. It was just a filler for a song that he would finish later, but never did. And so when you hear that song, realize that that, track that is so well known was ad-libbed really okay well that's my favorite song I mean my favorite uh, it's not my favorite song that's my favorite um, story you know interesting story that of well no of little known facts of a song or of a musician but I found a list of a lot of uh, rare little known facts of music going you know as far back as the 40s and maybe even further the happy birthday song is is much more interesting than anyone would really think being such a usual song that every family sings to their family member having a birthday and i'll get to that but this this runs in an order so i'm going to start in order and the next uh song was really just uh music composed for a movie by a composer named Bernard Herrmann and uh, he composed music and he composed music for films and uh, in Alfred Hitchcock's film Psycho during the shower scene the famous shower scene where the woman's taking a shower and think this is black and white movies I, I want to say it's in the 50s um, shower curtain pulls back you see a shadow a knife and a and the shadow of, of what's supposed to be a man and the woman screams and then blood goes down the shower drain 
Well, Hitchcock did not want music for that scene. He just wanted the scream, the shower go shower curtain going back, and the scream. I'm not going to do the scream. And, you know, the motion of the shadow stabbing and the blood going down the drain. But they toyed with it and put music to it that that intense e e e e music <laughs> to it and when hitchcock saw the music that bernard herman airman whatever put to the scene in the shower he doubled airman's salary because it was so fantastic he loved it he used it I don't know if it ever, if that point catalyzed to change the way he did sound and music with movies or not. It doesn't say. I haven't read that. But there was not supposed to be that uh, psycho music in Psycho in the shower scene until they toyed with it and Hitchcock loved it. And if you don't know who Alfred Hitchcock is, he, he was kind of a, the father of uh, cinematic thrillers which led to horror. <laughs> you know, you hear me say horror, and I even had someone that listened to one of my podcasts where I said horror, and I don't know what he linked it to, but he, he found it amusing, I guess. But I'm a big fan of this show called Whose Line Is It Anyway? And they show it on the WB channel, and uh, they show it like four episodes a night and I DVR it and so there's 450 episodes of Whose Line Is It Anyway and usually when I'm going to bed I'll put put on Whose Line Is It Anyway and, and, and just watch through the ad lib scenes and just you know I laugh out loud at this show but but whenever they have to ad lib a scene that that is say a horror scene the for some reason, the actors, Colin Mockery, mostly, always says horror, because for some reason there's a speech involvement with that that they find funny. And it's it's wormed its way into my mind, and so when I say it on here, I suppose that's how I'm going to continue to say it, because that's, you know, a lot of people probably have trouble saying horror. 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 That was a horror film. That was a horror film. That was a horror film. How horrible. So we've done Otis Redding. We've done Alfred Hitchcock Psycho. We're going to move to a pretty quick one here by the musician Beck. Everyone knows Beck from his uh, early 90s hit that put him on the map, Loser. I'm a loser, baby. Why don't you kill me? Soy un perdedor. That's Spanish for I'm a loser. Well, his latest album, and you don't hear a lot about Beck anymore. He still makes music. That's his life. He can play on his first album, Loser. He played all the instruments on every song that you hear on that album. He can play drums, guitar, bass. He can mix. He can scratch record. He does it all. He sings. Um, he raps somewhat, beatboxes kind of. But he's he's won Grammys. He's won multiple Grammy Awards, if I'm correct. I know he's won one, but I think he's won more than one. His latest album, and they don't even give it a name here. When he he made this album and recorded it, 
but he only released it in sheet music form for others to interpret. No CDs, no digital, just sheet music. That's weird. I mean, who only musicians, and not even all musicians, you know, especially drummers. I'm a drummer. been drumming since I was, I've been playing drums since I was a teenager. I've had a drum kit since my sophomore year in college. And I've played garage bands, and, and, and we get together and play up in the uh, playroom upstairs, the kids' playroom where my drums are. And I try to get my kids on those drums. I don't care if it's loud. I want them to be loud. I've always been loud. I've always been boisterous. And my children deserve to have that opportunity to be loud and boisterous. But they don't get on the drums and play too much. Usually when uh, James, the kid, the little boy that laughed at me when I Charlie Browned into a uh, Joe Theismann and my knee went backwards. When he comes over, he'll sit up on there and play the drums. And uh, I don't tell him not to do that, that it's too loud. I want them to hit those drums. People need music. People need to play music. It really rounds your mind out. Your left and right brain come together. They don't work independently. They work together. And they say the smarter you are, it's because your brain halves are working together. And music and art help do that with your mathematical and uh, rational side of the brain. So Beck releases sheet music on his latest album. I haven't uh, gotten the sheet music yet to read. I can't read music that well. A little bit, but not well. Um, the Happy Birthday Song. The Happy Birthday Song, I don't know how old it is. It's, it's older than all of us. It's over 100 years old, I believe. But in 2008, the Warner Music Group, this is from Time Warner, I imagine. By 2008, Warner Music Group was collecting $2 million a year in royalties for the public usage of the Happy Birthday song. They own the rights to the Happy Birthday song, quote, Happy Birthday, unquote, song. They have been known to charge up to $10,000 for use of the song in a film. That may be why you don't see it too often. Or big budget films have no problem with that. Restaurants. When you go to restaurants, you don't hear the Happy Birthday to You song. Because they would have to pay, if caught, a royalty to the Warner Music Group. Now, I doubt they'd get turned in. But you notice they always have their own song, the Happy, Happy Birthday, Happy Birthday, Happy, whatever. Warner, the Warner Music Group owns that, and they make $5,000 a day, $2 million a year, in 2008 dollars. That might be up a little now. That's been 11 years. So, I wonder if NASA had to pay Warner to program the happy birthday song. I'm trying to find my cue here. I'm wondering if NASA had to pay Warner money, royalty, to use the happy birthday song because they programmed it into the Curiosity rover which landed on Mars. Because on the one year anniversary of the rover landing on Mars, the program played itself happy birthday after being on Mars for one year making happy birthday to you 
the first song played on Mars and the first song player, Curiosity, to play Happy Birthday, to play the first song played, here it says on a foreign planet, um, I'm imagining music had been played on the moon, but this is Mars, and it's way farther away, and uh, I don't understand this whole investment in putting people on Mars, it's really cold there, I haven't been, I really don't want to go. But uh, it's full, it's way out there, and so you know they say they found water. Eh, did they? <laughs> All right, next. Everyone's heard of Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is an actor, director, and writer. And um, Mel Brooks is probably best known for uh, Blazing Saddles. That's a fantastic comedy, racy movie that. People say you can't make those kind of movies these days that make fun of the black culture or where the black culture can make fun of white culture, although that can be done. That's always been done. And Richard Pryor extended that barrier. You know, Richard Pryor was the first actor slash comedian cast as Sheriff Bart, the black sheriff in uh, Blazing Saddles and he if you look at the credits he was one of the writers of that movie with Mel Brooks and this is in the early 70s 72 73 somewhere in there but they decided not to cast him and put Cleavon Little in instead because he was he was more uh, family orientated looking I don't know maybe maybe sounding he didn't have the uh, rough uh, foul mouth image that Richard Pryor did early in his comedic career because you know he would drop the F-bombs and the S-bombs, etc. And who knows what else he would say. You, If you've watched Richard Pryor and then see if you can see him as Sheriff Bart in Cleavon Little, the handsome, singing, you know, smooth actor. He's fantastic. He's passed on. I don't know if Richard Pryor's passed on or not. But that was a... Uh, that was a Mel Brooks film. He did others. High Anxiety comes to mind. The Silent Movie comes to mind. I cannot think of other. I didn't make notes because I wasn't going to go into the movies. Um, well, anyway, let's dial back and talk about Mel Brooks because this is about him. Mel Brooks was a combat engineer in World War II. If you are a combat engineer... That means that you have to do engineering, bridges, roads, runways, in a combat scenario, which means you're working in a combat scenario, which means you're working until you have to fight. And that's the last resort. The Army, the Marines, the security takes care of security and fighting unless they need to throw you in the line. And he was one of those that had to be thrown in the line because he was involved in the Battle of the Bulge. It doesn't say whether he was in Bastogne or in the relief of Bastogne. You have to go through your history through Wikipedia. That's where you can find all the facts in a compact form. But he was there in Europe as they were driving from Normandy through to Germany. 
Battle of the Bulge is where the counterattack by the Germans pushed back and Bastogne was surrounded and the U U.S. troops and allies would not surrender and they uh, fought it out and a lot of men died um, there was two or one battalion of uh, of artillery that was almost all black and one of those artillery uh, companies or or it wasn't the whole battalion but there was an amount of artillery run by black and that's what kept so much of the uh, German advance on Bastogne backed off where they couldn't overrun Bastogne with overwhelming numbers was because of well-placed artillery and whenever they did have uh, air cover you know the air could come in the, the planes and bombings could come in and strafings well the Germans overran one amount of this black artillery and captured um, I don't know if they captured 25 or 15 of these men but they uh, captured them and then brought them back towards German lines and instead of uh, taking them to uh, prison camps as they did with most um, cap captured soldiers they killed them they killed all of them and they did it because they were black that's what the US was fighting not only was the Germans fighting um, not only was the US and its allies fighting Germans and a regime that was killing millions of Jews and gypsies and homosexuals they were also killing uh, minorities and uh, they, they did kill hundreds of captured US soldiers Caucasian white soldiers also a different group did that and that's why very few prisoners were taken in that in that uh, battle because when that word got out they just stopped taking German prisoners and they just started killing them when they were surrendering and that didn't last but during that battle it did Mel Brooks was there don't know if he shot anybody don't know if he was shot at he was certainly shot at however at night during the lulls of battle in the Battle of the Bulge I, I just don't know if he was in Bastogne it doesn't say here I have to look that up but at night the Germans would play propaganda music propaganda recordings on loudspeakers blared at the US lines and Brooks being the character that he was set up his own sound system that he scrapped together and found Al Jolson records Al Jolson is a Jewish musician of the time and he blared Al Jolson back at him that's pretty cool um, if they could have snuck in there they'd have destroyed it and killed him but you know uh, obviously it didn't happen and Mel Brooks wasn't killed in World War two and uh, we were lucky to have his bevy of comedies which are witty and original and people cite lines from those movies especially um, blazing saddles daily across the country across the world I know me and, and my close friends are movie quote fanatics and uh, you know God bless Mel Brooks that he made it through
I'm going to end it on Beethoven. No, I'm not. I'm going to end it on Beethoven. But before Beethoven, I'm going to have a quick Metallica fact. Um, during the war in Iraq, the U.S. military would play Inner Sandman for hours on end during interrogation of prisoners, Iraqis, terrorists, either ones or both, they were both. And uh, James Hetfield, lead singer, rhythm guitar, possible founder of Metallica, was asked this, asked what he thought about this, the United States military using their song for interrogation and quote unquote torture, but con comparing U.S. torture of waterboarding and music and sleep deprivation. I think I'd rather be tortured like that than say have my head sawed off on camera in the name of Allah. You know, that's not apples and oranges when it comes to torture. That's yelling my ear and saw my ears off. So, we're talking James Hetfield being asked about his song, Sandman. He said, well, we've been punishing our parents and our wives and our loved ones with our music forever, so why should the Iraqis be any different? He didn't care. You remember, remember when we uh, invaded Panama, and some people wondered why we did that. Well, Noriega was the banker. Panama was the banker for uh, the cocaine industry out of Colombia back when, what's his name, was, was nearly a billionaire in the 70s and 80s. What was his name, the big drug guy? It's not El Chapo, that was in Mexico. Escobar. He was Escobar's banker. All the money was kept in Panama, so they couldn't seize it in Colombia because the government was trying to unseat Escobar. But Escobar was a man of the people because he built schools and, and, and provided clean water so he would have uh, the people on his side by giving the poor the basics. But they played uh, the U.S. military in Panama when they took Noriega down. They played Panama by Van Halen. And Van Halen thought it was cool, too. Now we will end it on Beethoven. We know Beethoven went deaf from his uh, youth through his growing old. And he did something to continue playing music and composing music on his piano while he was deaf. He sawed the legs off his piano. It says here he hacked the legs off his piano. Maybe he was mad like uh, Van Gogh. Although I doubt he had uh, oil paint soaked into his skin through his hands to make him go mad. Because if you don't know oil paint with artists and painting, I paint, I used to paint. Um, cadmium is a, uh, an ingredient in reds and oranges and yellows. And if you get this oil paint on your hands, say you paint every day, and you're getting yellow cadmium or red cadmium on your hands every day, you're getting cadmium toxicity into your body. Small amounts. Well, maybe uh, Van Gogh mixed his paints by hand. I doubt it. 
but maybe he got on his hands every day for two decades as he painted before he went mad and shot himself. He cut off his ear, but they say he really just cut off a piece of his ear. Beethoven went deaf and hacked off the legs of his piano. Why did he do that? He did it so his piano would be on the floor. You know, it would be a wood floor, I would imagine. Probably not concrete, probably not shag carpet. His piano was, was a grand piano laying on the floor. And while he sat on the floor and played, he could feel the vibrations in his butt. Isn't that interesting? And that's how he knew what his music was doing, his tones were doing, and how he could compose the rise and fall and flow of his music. Interesting fact. Few people probably knew that. Mine's still favorite. My my favorite is still sitting on the dock of the bay, the whistle ad lib. But uh, you know, music is a beautiful thing that that uh can soothe people. They say music when you're when music makes your skin uh, it's called chicken skin in the South, but it's goosebumps in other places. There's goosebumps here too. They say goosebumps are caused by dopamine being naturally naturally created in your brain. Saying naturally is horrible. So dopamine is produced in your brain when you hear music that gives you goosebumps. Or it's also when you're watching a movie and it gives you goosebumps. Something that gives you that feeling of just like nostalgia or a thrill or just a loving sense. Or maybe even eerie or uh, being scared. So, oh, here's a neat neat thing I'll throw in on the end since we're almost 30 minutes. Um, they have a C organ, S-E-A-C organ in Croatia that continuously plays music nonstop. And it's powered by waves that flow through the tubes located underneath it in a set of marble steps that drop into the sea that uh, bounder Croatia. I would imagine to the south in Croatia on the uh, on the far eastern northeastern part of the Mediterranean up above uh, Greece maybe and uh, east of Italy but they have this uh, marble steps that takes water through tubes and creates a flow that makes sounds of this uh, huge man-made organ. That's pretty cool. So music soothes the soul, gives you goosebumps. Um, too true to lie. Harry Day. Peace, love, and uh, listen to some music and learn how to whistle. Bye-bye. <laughs>